Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Alexander, Olivia and Vilads to discuss the topic of what makes a good leader in a crisis. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way in around the room with some introductions. Alexander, would you like to kick us off? Sure thing, Sam. Thank you very much for the introduction. My name is Alexander Hellowell from uh, Varial Solutions here in Denmark, IT service provider and IT consulting company. Um, yeah, I generally work, you know, quite a lot in operations, communications, managing uh, different people in different aspects of the company on a day-to-day basis. You know, of course, the CEO, co-founder's job is to do all the, the gritty work, uh, everything that nobody else wants to do. Um, so that's kind of my background, you know, educated from uh, coming business school for a bachelor's degree and now uh, dropped out of my uh, master's degree in order to focus fully on my own company here. So I think that's everything for me, a little introduction. Excellent. Thank you, Alex. And thank you for being here today. Olivia, we'll come to you next. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Sam. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is Olivia Rivenzenk. Um I work at Family as a corporate development lead. Uh, Family is a SaaS scale-up based in Copenhagen. We provide a platform, collaborative platform for the early years sector. So that's kindergartens, uh, nurseries, and preschools, mostly in, in the UK and the US, not so much present in Denmark. Um, my role there is uh, integrations, acquisitions, partnerships with other uh, companies. Uh, we did our first acquisition earlier this year and, and are planning more. Um, so, so these these large commercial uh, corporate projects. Um, my background is in finance. I used to run a fintech company out of Rwanda in East Africa, which I had to close down during COVID uh, and then moved back here to, to Copenhagen. So um, yeah, excited for the for the talk today. Me too. Thank you, Olivia. And then last but not least, Vilad, tell us a bit more. Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Vilas. I'm the commercial director at Shape. Uh, at Shape, we do app development, uh, only native app development. We work for large Danish corporations or corporations for whom the digital channel is important and business cruel. Uh, we um, we are around 100 consultants, all based in Copenhagen. Um, yeah, and I hold the role as the commercial director, meaning that I oversee all uh, of the commercial departments, activities, hereby strategy, uh, insights, optimization, and as well as sales. And then I, uh, I sit in the board of directors alongside three others. I have a background uh, as a IT management consultant, focusing on business development and uh, business strategies, digitalization strategies. Alongside this, I've also been um, the business development manager for the division director of a larger IT company called Misma. I hold a uh, master's degree in uh, digital innovation and management from the IT University of Copenhagen. Fantastic. And Vilas, thank you very much for being here today as well. Now that we've established a context on each of you and who you are, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question, a statement, and a topic around what makes a good leader in a crisis. And as usual, we'll work around the room to pose a question to the rest of the panel um, and then each of you will have your opportunity to give your take on that situation. I think a good point to start is uh, to go around the room and define what is a good leader to you, but also what what defines a crisis as well, um, just so the listeners know exactly uh, what we're getting at. And we'll flip it in reverse. Vilas, we'll start with yourself uh, and then go that way. Yeah, so uh, I can start out by uh, 
in at least in this topic, I mean, crisis can be a lot of things, but but looking at it from a professional point of view, uh, my understanding of a crisis will mainly uh, be due to either increased costs or, or reduced sales. So something that impacts the financials of the company. I know that there can be a lot of personal crises, but I would I would take these out of the equation at least when when discussing uh, this matter. Uh, and then again, for for me, if if we are to talk about leadership and what makes a good leader, I think there's several um, different ways to go about being a leader. And if you look throughout time, how this has evolved, I think modern leaders they are the ones who are able to lead. Uh, on an individual basis, so they adjust their leadership uh, based on who they're leading uh, and the needs that they have. But so so that you don't treat everybody the same. Uh, but in order to treat them the same, you actually treat them differently. But alongside that statement, I also think that there are some generic things that you can derive from from leadership and and at least from my experience, what what makes up a good leader. And one of them is being able to set uh, clear expectations to the ones that you're managing so that they know not only um, the task that you expect them to do, but also the output that you expect them to deliver towards the company and that they understand why this output is of value to the company. So if they have the overall understanding of where you're going, what your train of thought is, and that you set the expectations like, I would like you to assist in this area, then they will also be able to um, take a lot of uh, decisions based on that knowledge that will uh, empower them, motivate them, but also uh, have you as a leader less involved, which I think uh, can be a good thing. And that comes to my next point, which is about do not micromanage. At least uh, I do not thrive under micromanagement myself. Uh, and I believe that this is not the way that you have the most fruitful relationship with your employees. So if you're not to micromanage and and when people micromanage in general, I also think it's an expression of a lack of trust in the relationship that you need to control everything that either you're insecure in your own role as a leader or that you're not uh, 100% trusting um, your employees. So for me, trust between you and the employees is very important and that they trust you as well so that you you uphold your end of that bargain. And and then to some of the more calm things you could say about that, being a good leader, um, is if, if, for me, if you look at leadership, I always try to think about which task can I do that others can't? And, and, and how do I impact the room when I go into the room? And one of the things that I find is that you can only wash the stairs from the top, right? speaking uh, figuratively. So if you come in, you have a bad mood as a leader, if you're negative, that will influence uh, your team definitely. And that will impact them. So I try to work um, with having a positive energy, even though I'm depleted, uh, and try to, to at least um, leave the room with more energy than, than it had when I came, um, even, even no matter the topic that we're discussing. And... And alongside that line as well, I also think that it's very important to be calm under pressure. So if you are a leader, uh, people will look to you in a crisis or in a pressure situation. And if you panic, then you start washing the stairs uh, in a bad way, right? 
um, they will panic as well. They will be uh, insecure and uncertain towards the duration. So if you do not have the answer, be frank about it, tell them, but be calm. Uh, I think that's my, those are my, my main two cents, uh, just right at the top of my head. Fantastic. Thank you, Bilas. So well, ladies, ladies first now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Um, happy, happy to, um, I think sort of on, on the whole, I of course agree with, with a lot of what, what Lila said. No, I think, um, the point that, that you made around, uh, clarity and, uh, being a role model, uh, is especially important, uh, as, as a leader at all times, but of course, even more so important when, when things get heated. Um, the only thing I would add around there is that the, um, the authenticity that you bring as a leader, um, is, is something that we see changing a lot in modern leadership compared to where maybe, you know, the understanding of what was a good leader, a good CEO 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, is very different than what we see today. Um, and what people expect as well. So having that authenticity and, and being human as well, um, as, as being clear and, and setting a good guidance in a good direction on, on, on where to go. Um, same as Villas, I also place a lot of emphasis on the importance of, um, uh, providing people with something concrete to do um that very often in in a crisis situation people can can get overwhelmed and not necessarily know where to start and that's where as a leader one of the first and foremost jobs can be to help people break out of that paralysis uh the sort of the fear of of you know what are we going to do in this situation and 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 so on uh so having that clarity having the ability to take something that can seem very uncertain and very uh, unclear and, and make it clear, form a straight direction in an authentic way, uh, without pretending like everything is going to be fine. Still, you know, your, your team is, is adult. They will know what, what the situation means. So, so of course don't, um, I, I would always advocate for being as honest as possible, even if the situation is not looking good. Uh, I think you get, get a lot further. Same as, I mean, to be this point around trust as well. Um, if you pretend like everything is fine, but the team is like, yeah, but the numbers don't look fine. That, that trust is is eroded um, because I think sort of the uncertainty aspect is perhaps the uh, the worst part about being in a crisis for a team or for a company and so on. Because one thing is if you see the writing on the wall and things are clear and you know what's going to happen. But very often when you're in a crisis situation, you, you don't know. You can make assumptions. You can try you have a best guess about what's going on but but really no one knows i mean sort of we all remember when we started in the COVID uh situation there was a lot of uncertainty no one really knew what was going to happen and what would be the best way to react to, to different things we're seeing the same way with all this cost of living uh, inflation going up now as well um the, the uncertainty is is the worst part and sort of being able to have that clarity and cutting through that um with with a clear clear sense of direction is one of the most important things that I think uh, a leader can do in a time time of crisis. Excellent. Thank you. Very interesting. First off, I will, I will start off saying I agree with everything you've just said, both of you, uh, to a certain extent at least. Uh, but I think, you know, to, to approach this question with a more general view than just being in a crisis, uh, I think uh, a good leader is made up of, you know, several key characteristics which are like, you know, uh, strong communication skills, you know, being able to actually communicate uh, with others or their employees, what their vision is, you know, having this emotional intelligence, 
uh, being able to connect with all the different uh, employees, as Villas also, you know, uh, you know, shortly, briefly mentioned, being able to adapt to each employee and and you know, personalizing your approach to that specific employee is super important and a good leader, in my opinion. You know, something as simple as decisiveness, being able to actually uh, make the decision in when when the opportunity occurs or in that certain crisis i think is is super important for a good leader uh you know flexibility being able to adapt to certain circumstances and all these different things is also a super good trait uh but that's you know for a general leader where something like a strong work ethic is of course essential as well right uh, but to to look a little more on the it industry specifically I think something like technical knowledge and expertise is super uh, important. Uh, you need a strong understanding of, of the technology, the team, uh, what technology the team is working with and, and be able to provide guidance and mentorship. And if you're not yourself capable of doing that, you need to find someone or, or hire someone or partner up with someone who can contribute to this uh, area. I think uh, you know. Of course, this innovation or in innovation mindset is is a great thing for a leader to have, right? Being able to see uh, potential changes and quickly adapt to new situations, super essential. And um, I think a la last thing would be probably understanding these agile methodologies. So this is a good leader in IT, right? Uh, for us in in our company, we've we've used agile development like Scrum, for example, in in so many different projects. And just having an understanding on how, of how this works makes it easier for the leader to allocate the employees at the right positions, and also knows how to make them accountable uh, for what they are supposed to be accountable for. Right? The worst thing you can have is you you assign a task as something to an employee, and two weeks later they're, they're still not sure what exactly their job is. Right? It can happen if you don't have these like structures. Um, but then I think like at the core, it's probably going to be strong negotiation and uh, pro good problem solving. I would say that's kind of the two key things in my opinion, like to just to tie it off. Uh, if you can negotiate very well and you're very good at solving problems, then you're, <laughs> you're very far ahead. So I'd say that that's uh, my take on what a good leader is for me. Yep. Some fantastic points there. Um, I think all of those kind of lead very well into what we're going to discuss next. Yeah. I do believe we're going to go to, to Villa's questions first. Um, and, and he's posed to everyone, what is the best strategy for being a leader in a crisis? Is it to be more aggressive in generating more business and leads? Or is it cutting costs? And I'm going to come to you first, just to give everyone and the listeners a bit of context. Uh, before we jump over to Alex for an answer and, and Olivia too, so yeah. So basically, I would say these are the two opposites, right? But but I think a lot of um, companies out there they're looking at the the macro uh, economics that are going on, especially in the West at the moment. We see that there are rising inflations. Olivia, you you touched upon this uh, added uh, cost of living, um, the interest rates are going up, and the access to funds in general. Uh, are more strict and um, and more difficult than they were uh, just a year ago. So I think a lot of companies are looking into some sort of crisis. And I I see that if you are to discuss this, you will have these two opposites. And always, as always, the, the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? But but at least you have uh, one way to go about it, and that is to be very aggressive into the market. 
trying to get more leads, try to uh, bump up your revenue uh, or acquire new customers. So if you have customers falling out of your portfolio, you're able to replace these with others. Another one, and 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 having that approach just to to give it some context, of course, can be expensive, with because that will require you to invest. Uh, in marketing efforts, in bumping up your sales teams, in investing hours and just gaining clients in general. So you're taking a bit of a chance here and a gamble and you're also gearing your organization towards the hopes of more revenue, right? So whomever is in the delivery organizations, they will need to be geared for for that. So so you're sort of, um, yeah, you're, you're adding the risk to the organization. But of course it comes with possibilities as well. The other way to go about it, of course, would be to to lay down a plan towards how do we manage this crisis? How do we cut cost? How do we still uh, stay capable of delivering our core services at uh, the quality that we want, but uh, reduce the cost? What is the best way to go about this? Uh, should we cut down on office um, expenses? Should we cut down on staff? Um, how, how do we go about this? Yeah, so that's sort of like the, the train of thought around around that question. Definitely makes good sense. I think uh, I'm just going to jump in and do my best here. Uh, you know, I, I think generally it's, it's very dependent on uh, the specific organization and their goals, resources, what capabilities they have, what, you know, team they have. Um, but also the exact crisis that they're in, right? It might be different if it's COVID or if it's an inflationary or financial crisis, right? The the t- the type of crisis will will change the strategy drastically, in my opinion. But I think you know some general points would be to you know as long as you maintain a clear and, and consistent communication, you know, with everyone, stakeholders, uh, and what actions you are taking to best. Uh, you know, circumvent this crisis or or turn better results. I think, you know, then then you're pretty much open to doing whatever you want. If you're generating more business or cutting costs, I think increasing revenue or cutting costs is, is the essence of it, right? Um, and then again, I think it's about being flexible and adaptable to the situation. So you might start out by generating more business, increasing revenue, and then you realize. Actually, this revenue increase won't help us if we don't cut some more costs, right? So I think it's definitely a strategy. Um, but I would say generally, just encourage everybody else as well to be creative and innovate in this situation, right? Foster this mindset that whatever issue you might have right now, there there must there has to be a solution somewhere. Just keep looking for it, right? Uh, then I'm sure most of the company will adapt to to like a crisis oriented strategy or uh, adapting to kind of the risk that that you see every day and then of course you know don't lose sight of the overall goal in the middle of these crises keep keep stay focused on on your long term goal and perspective uh, don't get too caught up in what might happen you know this year if you have a 10 year plan in my opinion at least um so to tie it up and then maybe leave it to uh, I think it's not really a matter of choosing one strategy uh, over the other, you know, more aggressive, less aggressive, uh, more business, less business. But I think it depends more on the organization's goals and, and the specific crisis. Yeah. You know, that I, I think the only thing 
I would add to that is is sort of saying it also depends on where the organization is in their own maturity, mm-hmm. uh, on their own journey, right? I think, especially when we're talking in, in the IT sector, we, we're often talking about startups, small companies that might not necessarily have the most robust structures or the biggest buffer in terms of cash. Uh, so mm. um, I, don't, I think sort of a, a good rule of thumb is always sort of, you know, how can you, well, how much cash do you have? How much of your operating expenses does that cover? Is there a way to increase that, you know, having a sort of a, a very quick and dirty look at saying, okay, well, we don't know how long this crisis is going to go on for, but how much cash do we have right now may, might cover six months. How do you extend that to cover 12 months? And of course, that's a combination of negotiating a bit of leeway on some expenses, cutting what you don't need, uh, downsizing as as appropriate, just to make sure that, that also for, for your own peace of mind sake, that's you don't you know that whatever happens you will at least be able to, to manage 12 months with without earning any revenue or or whatever it is right sort of that i think that peace of mind for for the leader in this situation is is absolutely one has one of the most important things right? it allows you to to keep a, a calm head when, when you're not lying at 4 a.m staring at the ceiling because you're afraid of how are you going to make salary <laughs> next month right um so that's that's one thing i think and then sort of the other thing around um, you know, should we invest more in more sales and so on? Again, I think it again it, it depends on what kind of crisis it is, right? Is it, you know, is it COVID and you're working in aviation? Well, there might not be that many leads in the market to deal with, right? Sort of, or are you? I mean, for instance, in family's case, we're we're a digital platform for for early years institutions. COVID was really good for us because all of a sudden everyone needs to digitize and not have physical pieces of paper changing hands, right? So in that situation, investing was absolutely the right decision. Uh, So it really depends on what's your product, how is the sector impacting your customers at the segment that you're in? And also, do you have sort of a repeatable engine that you can just pour more uh, fuel onto like so do you know how to sell do you know how to generate leads do you have a marketing funnel that actually works that you could say okay fine if i throw another hundred thousand dollars into this advertising budget i know how many leads i'm going to get out on the other side then you can move very fast compared to if you still haven't cracked how you scale how you how you sell um then it can get very expensive and that just adds more uncertainty to to the mix so um yeah sort of the, the summary is that it depends but uh, <laughs> on on a few specific things I think and that sort of I think there are some some rules of thumbs that you can that you can follow <laughs> yep some great points Phyllis will cover the background yeah full circle to you have you got anything to add to your own question <clears throat> I think I I agree with Alexander and Olivia in terms of it, it depends right it's it's the boring answer but it's also the right answer and and to to sort of uh, put a bit more structure to it, in my opinion, I would look at a set of factors that, or at least that can help you guide in your decision, right? So for me, it, it depends on on a set of things such as how easy is it for you to acquire customers? Are you in a market where it's red ocean, all the customers are uh, set and owned by either you or your uh, or whoever whomever you're competing against, or is it still a market where you have a lot of blue ocean where you're able to to attract new customers? They are not necessarily grabbed by the competition. That would be one of the things that I would look into. And of course, if if you have uh, a market that is about to settle, 
and you know that it's crucial for you to just have the point of contact with the customer and then you can always expand that dialogue that would of course um and drive towards being aggressive just to get them and you might not make any earnings of them uh, for the first year the second year but they will you will have them in your portfolio and it could be a defensive move for you towards your competition who might not be able to acquire them later because they are already you already have them sticked to you right the other thing is talent acquisition i think sort of the same goes here right if if for the it uh sector in general talent acquisition has been a different difficult thing throughout the last five ten years um and we see people are investing a lot in that so if you have some talents that you're very afraid to lose because it took you a hard time to find them and you will have a hard time and uh, finding new ones that are as qualified that of course will will uh, will motivate you towards uh, keeping them uh, busy and then again of course as you say olivia your access to cash is a a key component in this regard so um a crisis is is not always bad if if you are when going into the crisis if you have the upper hand towards your competitors on one or more of the factors that i just mentioned here and especially if you have uh, the upper hand on access to cash because you can then either choose to be very aggressive towards acquiring their customers, underbidding them in terms of the price. You can be more aggressive on your marketing things uh, and having them th those there, or you can simply acquire their employees uh, with um, the sort of job security mindset that it, and our company, we're not going bankrupt tomorrow. Uh, why don't you come join us and have be able to sleep safe at night, right? So, so a crisis is not always bad. Uh, is is what I'm trying to highlight in this regard. On the other hand, I also think that if you are a leader and, and you're taking your job uh, seriously, you will need to have an understanding of which uh, levers that you can um, that you can pull, which tools do you have in your back, and one of them is downscaling. And you need to sort of have thoughts around how will you go about managing this. So when you are in the situation that you need to downscale. You're not panicking. You're not taking rush decisions. This is something that you prepared beforehand, so you will know what to do. And it's just about executing on that decision. I think that's a really good point that you make there. Let's sort of like, no, never, never waste a good crisis, right? Um, because it can also be an opportunity to make some tough decisions that you couldn't do otherwise. I mean, maybe, maybe you knew that you hired a team that was okay but not great, and actually you had thought that you know you needed to restructure a few things or maybe you'd felt that you'd made you started some projects that weren't really generating that you kind of would like to close down but as always things tend to get a momentum of their own but a crisis is a good opportunity to say no actually we need to cut everything that's not essential uh and that is these things over here that maybe i was not too keen on in the first place anyway right so it's um uh, it's it it can be an opportunity as well right it's not always a, a purely bad thing to enter a crisis as a company because it can you know it's a can be a cleansing process in, in one way or the other you shed some some dead weight in in terms of the focus <laughs> and, and and so on um so definitely it, it can, be, can be used it's a very interesting yes. perspective <laughs> i like that i like that full-on company detox uh, I think that's a super good perspective on it, at least. It's that Churchill quote, quote isn't it? That uh, never, never waste a good crisis, or well, I can't remember what it is, but, <laughs> but uh, there is, there's a quote there. I like it. 
Yeah, and I also think in this regard that at least if, if we also look at the IT uh, market in, in the Nordics, we've also seen that a lot of companies have had access to venture capital. And and for a few, at least for some years, they haven't, the venture capitalists haven't been too concerned with you earning money. So the, the bottom line hasn't been that important. It's been about uh, showing top line growth, um, being able to to deliver to to whatever make progress right and and if you are in that position you're not too bothered about uh salaries as well you might be keen on on, on bumping in salaries 10 15 percent towards your competitors um just to get whomever you need and and whoever you want and for us as an established business uh we don't have the luxury of not uh, making a profit so 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 we look at this as uh, something that is not necessarily too bad at, uh, on all parameters because all of a sudden they don't have the access to cash and and the competition for talent has died down a bit yeah some great points again uh, i just googled the the winston churchill quote it was uh, never let a good crisis go to waste as you said that's uh, good. <laughs> and i was just doing a bit of research then as well i mean some of the companies that were created and thrived in the crisis, LinkedIn in the 2002 post-dot-com uh, bubble, Microsoft, the recession in 73, it goes all the way back to Walt Disney and the, the market crash of 1929. So there's there's plenty of stuff there and some fantastic companies. So Villas, thank you so much for that great question. Uh, Alexander's is next um, and he's put forward to everyone. How should leaders approach their employees during a crisis in order to be effective and provide strong leadership? I'm going to come to Alexander for some context and then fly around the room again. Definitely. I think the only context really needed because I want the the unpolluted uh, or whatever you might say answers to the question. So I think, you know, when I say how should leaders approach their employees, it's basically how they can manage them or, you know, follow up on them regarding things. Uh, improve uh, productivity, all these different things uh, on a more personal level, right? So what we talked about before is like this emotional intelligence, being able to communicate with everyone. So what are some good approaches to be effective and provide strong leadership when people are scared of losing their job or think everything is going to change and the world is going down, you know, 2012 movie or this kind of vibe. Yeah, so I think Olivia, if you want to, ladies first. <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, I can try. Um, I think it's it's a, it's an excellent question, right? And I think it also sort of, I think this perhaps one is, is more clear cut for me. At least there's less of a it depends answer to this one. In that, mm. um, I think in these kind of situation, as I also sort of pointed uh, pointed out earlier, that the uncertainty is really the biggest killer uh, of mm. of all good things. Uh, so the leader's job really becomes first and foremost around providing some sort of clarity and some sort of direction um, in this very muddy situation because you're going to be operating on a, a very limited information. This situation is constantly changing. Uh, you don't really know where you're going to land up, but you're going to have to move while you figure things out. So being able to be okay with saying, okay, I might only know 10% of all the information I would really need, but I still need to make a decision and this is the direction that we're going in. And guys, this is what we're doing. Sort of being able to cut through all the noise and the uncertainty and say, here's the direction. This is what we're doing. Uh, being very proactive in your communication, not waiting for people to ask you questions because they most likely won't know what to ask. Um, and sort of 
setting that that clarity for for everyone to to also so so your team knows w what they're getting into it might well be that you're charting out a path for a team where someone says you know what i'm not up for that that's not what i want to do uh or i can't handle that and then fine then you can have that conversation right but it's sort of you're not sort of um People, people will not feel like you're you're sneaking something upon them that they don't know what they're signing up for. Because all of a sudden, their jobs might change significantly depending on which which strategy you go for, right? So, having that authenticity, that proactivity, uh, and that clarity uh, would be my my strong take on 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 this question. Um, together with availability, knowing that. You can't just say it once and then go disappear into your ivory tower and call all your investors and never <laughs> talk to the team again. I mean, it probably needs to be repeated a lot of times. You need to be available for questions. You need to be available just for that sort of unspoken, I'm insecure. I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm not able to articulate a question, but I still want to talk to you. That kind of vibe that you will often get from an employee when they're going through a crisis management situation, sort of being able to pick up on that, being able to sit them down and sort of say, have that emotional intelligence to say, like, I hear you. I understand what you're what you're going through, even if you're not able to articulate it right now. Uh, but this is the direction that we're going in and you can you can trust me in, in this process. Um, yeah, very interesting answer. I think that's a super good point. Yeah, and, and I think it, following up on that, I think uh, I agree with a lot of your points, Olivia, and I think it comes down to authenticity and being transparent, right? So um, it's a bit cheap to say, but, but if you've done your homework well before the crisis hit, it will help you a lot in this regard. So if, if your employees know what you stand for, if they understand the values of the company and hopefully you're embracing the values and embody the culture that the company is standing for. Otherwise, uh, you might have a problem as a leader. If it is. <laughs> so, so, so that would be one of my my points as a leader. Uh, make sure to embody the culture of the company, um, so that you represent that, and you don't. It's not too muddy for the employees to understand. Uh, but if if you've done all of that preparations, um then then the employees will also know how to act. If they understand the culture, if you understand your values, they will understand how to act in a situation of crisis. They might have to get a validation from you that their understanding is, is matching yours and it's actually what the, the company wishes for them to do. But but I, it comes down to being uh, doing your homework and, and being transparent. I think that's... A super key point. I actually cheated a little bit and wrote down four points to answer my own question. Uh, you've somewhat covered most of them, so that's that's brilliant. I'm just gonna go through them again for for good order's sake. So the first one I wrote down is is be transparent. Exactly as you you both mentioned. Uh, tell them kind of what you know or what you don't know. Uh, but as long as you take action and are clear with people, most most people will 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 bear over with it, right? Or or, or accept the fact or give their effort and the second one i wrote down is is act with urgency uh, so there is this example from very recently COVID. Uh, you know how all the governments um responded to this threat of COVID uh, 19 where most governments are like oh we can't really say anything yet we need more information we need more information which is one way to go about it is you just wait and wait and wait until you know okay tomorrow is the day we go bankrupt or uh, you know you 
you just act on what you know and let people know this is what I know. I'm doing we're doing whatever the best we can with the knowledge we have at hand. And I think an example of that was the um, New Zealand Prime Minister. I can't remember, uh, but she did that leveling for the COVID um, response, like according to the severity urgency. And they did that, you know, after I think two two days or a week of of hearing of COVID, uh, and then of course just changed it as time went on, and they knew more and more. They changed the restrictions, all these different things, which is a great example of acting with urgency, even though all the knowledge isn't presented to you. Um, the third is follow your values. As the Villa says, you know, be true to the vision. If you had a value of always, you know, being, uh, I don't know, eco-friendly, whatever, make sure that you don't sacrifice all this just to save the company, right? Stay true to the values, and I'm sure you'll, you'll find your way out on the other end. Um, and the fourth and final thing is my personal favorite, share the power, uh, which is basically just, you know, um, Give some, ask for help from people, give some responsibility, accountability to other people, uh, especially if, you know, often in these crises, you as a leader need to take a step back from like the day to day and, and, and kind of, you know, focus on strategy and picking up left, uh, you know, um, leftovers or what you might call it uh, in order to, to save it, like the, the overall path of the company right so i would say ask for help from the right people and i'm sure that they will feel honored to be able to help you in this situation and i see olivia do you have a question or something so, to add on to? uh sort of just a, a an emphasis on on what you said around the you know being true to your values um because it's i think that's something that that we we underlook we sort of we underappreciate so much that it's like it's easy to be a good leader and have all the right values when everything is going well and when money is flowing in, you're getting new comp new customers, and all this stuff. Then it's then it's easy and great to be inclusive and, and all this stuff. But when when things start to get really difficult, and you have a lot of headwinds, and and you're making some tough decisions, that's when you're really put to the test, right? And that's also kind of where where you get to see what kind of leader you are, uh, which can be interesting yeah, the first time you go through that experience. So sort of keeping that in mind and and having the courage to stay true to your values is. Um, I think it's probably very, very underappreciated how much that matters. And then when you come out on the other side, how much more people will respect you and follow you because they see, okay, yeah. when, when Alex was, you know, knee deep in, in, in shit, he was still <laughs> able to, to follow through with what, what he said he was going to do. And that's, that's something that yeah. means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. Hold, I think a word is, is, is very important to keep. And I think also to, to further dive into this, like, how how you can approach your employees, right? What you're saying is being true to your values, the fact that you don't change depending on yeah. the, the or can you say the status of the company, right? If you are having a great time, you're super kind to all your employees, you're doing great, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And then as soon as shit hits the fan, uh, you know, you'll be breathing down their necks saying, oh, you're doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. I think that's exactly the essence. Um, if you know that guy, Simon Sinek, the why, how, what uh, guy, you've probably all seen that as uh, entrepreneurial spirits. Um, you know, he, he mentioned this case of a guy one where he works in a coffee shop and at a casino or something. And at the coffee shop, he's super happy. He loves his job because the employees just say, what can I do to make you do a better job, right? Do you need anything to do better? Can I help you? All these different things in a positive way. So he'd love working at that coffee shop, but at the casino, you know, the, the managers, leaders were only like, commenting on the bad things, saying, oh, you missed this spot, right? Or you forgot to clean to empty this table. All the bad things that they, of course, focus on. But the better way is just to 
as you say, you know, be true and kind of follow your values and, and what you would expect of yourself, right? So if someone comes and says, oh, you did this wrong, it, it's not very motivating compared to saying, what can I do to, to make you do a better job? I think that's the essence of yeah. <laughs> of the question as well. That is probably also the hardest things about being a leader at any at yeah. any point in time, um, not letting your own standards slip and saying, you know, if this is how I want to be as a as a manager, as a leader, as a as a friend to to many of my mm. employees, as a person in this world, um, you know, it's it gets stressful. Maybe you haven't slept properly. You don't. You have a lot of big problems, and then someone comes to you with a small problem. It's easy to snap or or get reactive in one way or the other, and it's the I think it's probably the hardest thing about being a leader. Yeah. And I think commenting on that, Olivia, I think the essence of what, of what you are both saying is that moral is something that is for the privileged, right? So so it's easy to have when you're in a position of privilege and everything is fine and well. You can always moralize on others and and why are they not doing that or are they letting their standards slip? But when you need even shit yourself, you need to remind yourself of, of keeping those morals. And always be ready to take the consequences. I think not only you mentioned negotiation earlier, Alexander, and, and <clears throat> at least a trait that I've been taught is going into a situation of negotiations, always know your escalation points and, and how far are you willing to take this. I think the same goes for crisis. How far are you willing to take the consequences? What will you allow for the impact to be? Are you willing to quit your job on this? Uh, will you stand this so hard? And, and if you know that before going into the conversation of, of being in this situation, you will come forth as being more uh, authentic and, and people will, will believe you. But you need to be willing. You need to have made that uh, clarification with yourself beforehand. The same with a negotiation with a client, right? I want this hourly rate or I want this price or whatever. What are you willing to do if they won't accept it? Are you willing to drop the engagement? And what, what will be your next point? Are you willing to give them a shorter deadline? What, what will you do? And if you're willing to drop, drop the engagement, drop the engagement if they're not meeting you. Mm. What is the escalation points is what you're looking, you think of before you go into ne negotiation or what? Yeah. So I always, uh, if, we, if we talk about that, I mean, um, before going into a negotiation, I always know what will I, what are, what are cheap options for me to give to the other part um, that I that doesn't cost me the same as it gives to them in value. On the other hand, what will I? Uh, what do I decide from their end that might not cost them too much, but will give me a lot of value? And then, of course, I have some hard uh, some hard requirements. And which actions am I willing to take if these hard requirements are not being met? Yeah. What, am I willing to be forthcoming on something else or am I willing to drop the engagement or or where will I go? And if you have these high requirements and you start the conversation by saying, listen, and then we need to talk about this just for you to understand, this is the bare minimum for me to accept. I can't go any lower than this. I'm sorry. From here, we can take a discussion on all these parameters, but this is fixed for me. Very interesting point. Yeah. Sounds like a smart thing to do. <laughs> Usually, I'm more right. the ad ad hoc approach in a in a negotiation. Right, I was I was thinking the same. It's like, oh yeah, that's such a smart way to approach it. If only I would think things through before going into the room. <laughs> Perhaps not ad hoc uh, lifestyle that comes down to the difference between uh, entrepreneurial spirits and and 
management consultant training. <laughs> right. Difference between leaders. No. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, Alexander, fantastic question again. Um, I know Olivia's is going to be the same, so we'll go on to that one now. Um, she's keen to know, in times of crisis, how do you balance the need for your people to be heard with the need for moving fast and being clear and decisive? I do believe, going to come to Olivia, as always, for a bit of context, and then over to Vilas, and then Alexander. Yeah, um, I think so. this is this is an interesting question for me, because um, I think we've we all agreed earlier that emotional intelligence is one of the important things of, of being a leader. And, and uh, I think as you said, Vida's like treating people differently to treat them the same. Um, and some people, of course, have a much greater need to be heard. And that's not always aligned with the need for urgency, as, as we also discussed earlier. Um, so, yeah, just super curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, finding that balance between moving fast and not alienating people um, and then where where you see that distinction line yeah i think i think for me this is a great question because uh one of the things that i find myself that i struggle with as a leader is i know that i need to set time aside for being present just to be approachable because as a leader you often have a lot of responsibilities you often have a lot of tasks and it's easy to be to have this wall-to-wall -wall covered calendar with meetings where you're not very approachable or at least it will be through like a small instant message and and they won't have this face-to-face -face interaction. So sometimes you need to remind yourself of just having time in your calendar to be present and be available for your employees to approach you. Uh, if you don't have like a structured one-on-one -on -one discussions, and even though you have these one-on-one -on -one discussions on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, things arise that are not uh, fit on a Monday at nine o'clock or whatever, whenever you've scheduled that meeting, right? So, so how do you go about that? And for me, it's about uh, making sure to gather input from people on a regular basis. So you know where they are, where where they're coming from emotionally, and then you will have that input. And hopefully when the crisis occurs, you will have some sort of understanding of what their opinion will be and, and, and how that weighs in. So that's one thing. The other thing for me is also to, to own up to your responsibility as a leader in this regard. So you always need to be open for people have that input. But one of the things that, uh, that is scientifically proven to cause stress for people and mental illness is to have a responsibility for something that you're not able to impact. So if you, if you let people to the illusion that they have a responsibility to something where they can't give any input, you're putting them in a bath spot. So either you need to say to them, listen, I've heard what you said. This is not your area. This is not your decision to make. I will take this. I will own this decision and I will carry the consequences of this. Thank you so much for helping me with all of your input, but do not trouble your mind with this. This is on me. On, on the other hand, if you're asking for the input, uh, you also need to align with them. What are their area of, of influence? How much do they then own the decision? How much do you uh, expect them to influence it? And then you need to give them the right to influence it. So that's for me, it's, it's sort of like, that's the balancing point. So of course you need to be in tune, you need to listen, but you can't have them in a position where they can't really affect it, but you're asking a lot of them, if that makes sense. So that would be my my take on it. I think this is a, this is 
delicate matter because you don't want to cut people off. Uh, you don't want to uh, seem cold. Uh, you want to listen to all the frustrations, but sometimes things are moving fast and, and decisions need to be made. Um, and I think that's the difference in being a leader uh, or at least being in a position where where you have a mandate, not necessarily being a leader, but you have a mandate to, to make a decision and that comes back to you. And I think wrapping this up, it also comes down to clear responsibilities in the organization, knowing what are you responsible for and what are you not responsible for. Uh, myself, as the commercial director, it's quite clear that the top line and, and the overall uh, revenue, I'm sorry, not the, uh, this, the overall, um, yeah, sorry, revenue in the um, in the company, but not the bottom line. But the overall revenue, that's on me. But we have an operations director who has a lot of... Uh, the guys referring to him and he has a lot of impact on the overall bottom line. So of course I have shared responsibility, but it's quite clear that he has a stronger towards that. And I've always, uh, I've, I've been told the sentence that, um, if one has a responsibility, you have, you own the responsibility hundred percent. If two has it, you each have 10% and the rest of like, yeah, goes somewhere, right? It's broad. So yeah, a long, long answer to, uh, short but but good question super interesting points so I think I'll just jump to it as well then do you have anything you want to add before Olivia no super interesting curious to hear your thoughts as well yeah so uh, well I think I'm going to think primarily as an IT leader because that's what I have most experience with um, and also in crisis <laughs> a little bit of everything so I think you know it, it's it's important that they are of course able to manage both the technical and operational aspects, but this is super important as Vilas's point is to keep in parallel with the well-being of each employee. You know, making sure that communication, adaptation, uh, decisions are clear, strong sense of urgency, and all these different things. Um, for example, you know, for for my IT company in a crisis, number one would be prioritizing uh, system availability. And data security, right? If it's an IT crisis or we're being hacked or something like that, there's a security issue. Um, I think being able to leverage this remote work, hybrid workplaces, uh, you know, uh, so that of course they have to. It's probably easier to make them um, to being clear and decisive when they're in the office, right? Um, but satisfying the people's need of of maybe not being around this stressful environment in such a crisis. Okay, fair enough. Stay at home, you know, work at home every uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then come into the office start at the end of the week, so we can make sure everything is on track, right? I think, um, yeah, this uh, suits very well with the point we made before about being adaptable and flexible, right? Uh, that you can adapt to each employee and and what they want to do. If someone wants to be in the office every day, sure, fair enough. But if someone wants to work from home a day or two to prevent stress, or you know being too much in the center of it all, especially with these developers who tend to like to just be themselves, right? Especially if they have a lot to do. They don't want to sit in an office where everybody's screaming and yelling and trying to call customers and uh, all these different things. I think, you know, encouraging an open line of communication is probably key to everything. Have a chat, you know, we use Slack, for example. Each employee can just text me if they have an issue. Usually we, we say like every... Once a month, we, we have a follow-up with each of our employees to say, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well this month, and then we'll get some input and, and change the, the partnership there. Um, 
And yeah, I think all of this, in order to mix it with the need for moving fast, this was more by, you know, uh, balancing the need of people. So in order to do this while moving fast, I think it's super important to identify the critical decisions that you have to make uh, and set some clear priorities uh, of, of when and, and where and who needs to do what in order to be able to act quickly upon it, right? Otherwise, it's just going to be a, a big uh, unstructured mess of talking to people all day, every day, uh, which renders you incapable of, of finishing your own work. So I would say identifying the critical decisions and being clear and setting clear priorities is key in this scenario. And then just, the again, the emotional intelligence, showing empathy and understanding of each employee and their situation, as you mentioned yourself, Olivia, previously. I think that's kind of, the, the keys that I, I would uh, answer to this question. But yeah, it's a super good question. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. Yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating one that I also don't think I have a strong answer, like a clear answer to myself. Um, mm. I think it's it's definitely one of the areas where I've sort of gotten burnt previously uh, in both directions because it's really hard to find that balance between on the one hand, you need to move fast, but you also same needs to be approachable and available, and and people need to feel that they have a say in in, in things that ultimately often impact their lives quite significantly. Um, and uh, yeah, finding that balance between direction and, and democratic principles um, is definitely something I've I've struggled with a lot. But but I, I like I like your emphasis that both of you guys play on it. That is sort of it is a lot of figuring out as you go along, making sure you're available. Um, I strongly resonate with what you said as well, Vilas, around the sort of thing that giving people the false impression that they have influence over something is perhaps one of the worst things you can do uh, and and can be really damaging for trust and, and as you say, people's mental health as well. I mean, they will be, um, yeah, having sort of that, that stress of feeling that, that you're responsible for something that you either don't know well enough or don't feel like you can control is, is, is a horrendous feeling, right? So... Um, it is also the job of the leader to make sure that you don't put people in those situations, but hopefully people will then also hear you when you say that this is not, you know, we're not going to have this discussion right now, this is what we're doing, um, and, and, and so on. And of course, it also depends on, on people's personalities that you have in the team. And some teams are perhaps easier to lead through a crisis than, than others, um, just in terms of how, how opinionated they can, they can be. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think of course. It's not about not uh, having letting people be heard, but I, I I totally agree, Olivia. With don't give them the false impression of of them influencing things if they're not, and if they are, by all means. But then you need to tell them quite straight that they're influencing it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And yeah. And then if 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 they're in trouble, they can always come and ask. Right. You will you will be available for them. Definitely. I think. Have any of you, if we have the time, Sam? Otherwise, just a. Uh... Let us know. Uh, have any of you ex been in a in a crisis, Olivia? You mentioned you had to close down your company before. Do you want to tell a little bit more about that, so maybe we get some context for your question? And you said you've been yeah. burned before. Was that the burn? <laughs> that was definitely the burn. Um, yeah, no, it was a. I mean, in hindsight, it was a shit show, right? But um, at the time, you know, we did, did the best we could. Uh, it didn't really work, but no, so we were we were a team of sixteen people. Um, I had just hired team leads, so we'd just gone through the process of everyone reporting directly to me, to having team leads in charge of the different the different sections. So I'd gotten three team leads in that were absolutely 
stellar, uh, all far more experienced than I was and, and sort of really experts in, in their different domains. Um, and, uh, sort of, sort of, I think it was also, you know, me transitioning from being a direct manager to being a manager of managers at the same time mm-hmm. as COVID hit was just a double whammy that, that I really struggled with and, and finding my footing as a CEO in, in that position was, was extremely difficult. Um, and ultimately we, we let go of, of half the people, uh, six months later, we let go of two of the team leads as well. Uh, so, so we've been rapid succession. We had to shed a lot of people and yeah, a year later, we more or less closed it down. I mean, it still exists, but in, in sort of, mm, I know. yeah, in a, in a zombie version of, of what it, what it used to be, uh, <laughs> so full time employees. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so in that sense, it did, it just crashed and burnt. Um, and there was a lot of situations where I was trying to be decisive and fast, but was also getting a lot of pushback from different people. I had some very opinionated people on my team, which in a lot of situations are, is great, but there's also times when you're like, now is not the time to discuss this. Like just go do. Um, and I think it sort of came back to bite me a little bit that I'd been a very, that I'd been sort of had a very flat hierarchy and, and, and was very, you know, we, we were friends, we would go out for beers together and all this kind of stuff. So that when the time comes, it's a crisis and shit hits the fan. It's just your buddy who's all of a sudden making decisions. It's not, okay, this person is actually the CEO of the company. And, and sort of in hindsight, mm-hmm. um, to your point, Willis, I don't think I did a good enough job at preparing people for the extent of their responsibility and the difference between their role and my role at the end of the day, because we were all friends just to, group of people running companies together, having a great time. Yeah. I think that's also what happens when you scale up, right? When you, when you tend to scale up, you kind of lose the personal touch with each employee. If you've read that book, scaling up, mastering the Rockefeller habits, if you've heard about that, I think that's a Vern, Vern Harnish scaling up super good book for exactly that purpose. And like, I think it's uh, people strategy, execution, and cash, the main areas he focuses on and like how to approach these. So for that exact issue, I think there like you could probably, you know, nod in recognition of a lot of the the points he makes in that book. But sorry to interrupt you, Vilas. What was your follow up there? No, I, it's all all good. Like, I mean, um, it's it's a general issue at least in the Nordics uh, with the culture that we have, which welcomes a flat hierarchy, and and mm-hmm. we're not used to being very like um, having this uh, very. Uh, approach to authority that that you really respect authority and that a role carries authority in the same sense that we see elsewhere uh yeah, so like the hierarchy is tends to be missing right yeah. yeah i mean i mean of course we have hierarchies in the nordic <laughs> but but they are you transcend them a bit more right um mm. and and i think at least in our company uh due to uh App development being a fairly young uh, coding discipline with the introduction of the iPhone um, in 2007, coming to them in 2010. Um, most of the the most skilled and senior developers within iOS and Android, they are around 30 to 35 years old because they were the ones who were like 16, 17 when it came out and then they've been following that trend, right? Um, so we see that now, company, we are all more or less the same age which is also a bit difficult because we don't have the same roles 
So, so I have reports uh, who are way older than me, um, uh, several years, tens of years older than I am. And how do you manage that? Uh, a lot I also have reports who are the exact same age that I am, uh, the exact same place in their life as I am. And I actually um, I have a, a good relationship with them. I enjoy them as people. Uh, they are my buddies. So, so how do you how do you make sure that your kindness and your humanness is not mistaken for weakness? Mm. Um, I think that's the only case where I've, I've been burned myself. Is I've had an employee who misunderstood me being friendly as being weak and and took advantage of that situation, and that led to confrontations. Right. So I think that's that's a difficult part to manage. That one, you don't want to be bossy. But still, you need to be clear about which responsibilities you have and what that uh, requires you to do. Yeah. So right, that degree that... of bipolarism <laughs> will help you a long way, I think. And it's 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 true, right? Because it is such a, a unique thing, especially in the tech sector, that you have you know the the best in the field are all very very young, and and a lot of the entrepreneurs are very young. Of course, they're not all the sort of 20 year old college dropout that that sort of is sometimes sort of promoted as the, the the archetype of a tech entrepreneur you'll definitely see people also in the 30s and 40s starting tech companies but it is you are younger and just because age is often not an advantage in in these sectors right if someone comes in they're 50 years old you'll be like yeah well what do you know about selling apps or selling SaaS? uh it's it's hard right uh so it, it is super tough and at least in my experience, it, 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 if it, if you don't take the time to invest in those, not hierarchies, but role definitions ahead of time, it, when, when the crisis comes to hit you, then it's a, it is just really, really difficult to, to be decisive. You end up undermining your own role if you don't make sure to, um, to put those, those clear definitions in place ahead of time. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure how, how old you all are, but, uh, you know, I, I think that is something everybody can recognize, even if you're. 60 years old or 15 years old and starting your first company, right? Or 16, however old you must be. Uh, just being able to battle these, you know, what people think they know and, and versus what they really know, right? And how does the age impact that? Because my vision of someone who is older is, of course, they must know more, right? If having experience, but in, in most cases, uh, as you've, you've mentioned, it, it might have been a completely different approach back then or app development didn't exist. So, you know, we, we've learned new methodologies and new technologies that, that, that they never thought of. So I, I feel like age can be, uh, you know, it is just a number, right? But it, it's a very good indicator of kind of, you know, what trends and technologies and methods the person will use. But I, I don't think you can limit, you know, the knowledge or the um, authority of that person based on their age, right? For example, I'm 23 and all of my employees are older than me. <laughs> So uh, for for that case, you know, it's about being secure or what can you say confident in, in, in your matters and then just telling the people, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always open for the discussion and then I'm sure we'll figure it out in in, uh, in communion rather than just saying do this, do this, do this with a raised finger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, we, we tend to use age as such a useful shortcut for people's experience and knowledge and all of these sectors that's just not true so mm. have to find different ways to somehow signal who are the ones that we lean on in a time of crisis who are the ones that are going to take us through this because it's not going to be the person with the most gray hair on the table 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's a very good approach. And and generally, just it's kind of a theme throughout everything, right? Being clear and true to your values that'll naturally make you the more uh, leader-prone person in the company, right? If you're always yeah. doing what you say you will do, people will tend to rely on you in these scenarios where everybody's saying everything, but you know it's all going in 17 different directions. People will come to you and say, what do we need to do? Because they know if you say it, it'll happen, right? I think yeah. that's kind of the, the general theme throughout this whole thing. A good leader makes things uh, work, which they say will work, basically. Yeah, excellent. I I think that's a great point to finish on, Alexander. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I mean, what a podcast. I think it was some fantastic questions there, uh, but then also the discussion at the end, um, some great, great tangents um, and some great lessons. So thank you so much. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this time and opportunity uh, to thank Alexander, Olivia, Villas, providing both their insights, but their fantastic questions. And also thank you for listening. If you would like to get involved with one of our upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.